So that's what happens when you impulse buy a house. Yeah, do things, do <laughs> things impulsively. Don't don't think yeah. too much, right? That's the lesson. Don't I, think too hard. Yeah, I have to up my impulse game. <laughs> Just buy know. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't what know. could I, possibly go wrong? I bought that Orbitz drink on an impulse once. <laughs> it had the little things floating in it. That, it was risky, I'll admit, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess it was a 50-50 sort of satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. Hi there, this is Greg Legro. And this is Jamie Dew. Of Fully and Completely. Um, You're listening to... <laughs> Welcome to Fully and Completely, the podcast where we... <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to bother. That's Greg's, that's Greg's uh, domain, the introduction. And today I am Gregless as I record this introduction. Don't worry, he's on the episode though. We've also got a very special guest because this is a very special episode. This is the first of what we hope are many episodes called Hipsteries, where we sit down with a high profile guest and they share their stories of the band or individuals in the band. Today's guest does the latter, as he tells us about the time that he spent with Gord Downey at a festival that he curates in Woody Point, Newfoundland. Please sit back and enjoy the time that we got to spend with award-winning journalist, broadcaster, and now podcaster from Rogers Media. This is Stephen Brunt. Yeah, I think they call us content providers now. That's what I'm, I'm, a, I'm a provider of content. That's what I do. Well, we're really glad to have you. Yeah, it's going to be here. Thanks yeah, for providing some tragically hip content. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, no, this is a thrill. I'm really happy to do it. It's Jamie again, Gregless Jamie from the future. You know, uh, so that was the past. This is the future, which is your present, which doesn't make any sense. But anyway. I normally put a uh, long slice ad at the very beginning of the episode, but this time I decided to put that funny little bit uh, with Greg and Stephen and I. As a result, I didn't put the long slice ad. So before we get into questioning Stephen Brunt about his uh, the beginning of his career and how he got started, let's hear a word from Greg and I about long slice from the past again. We're rolling. Rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to open a beer in this microphone. Yeah. Oh, that was weak. Oh, hey, it told the story. I suppose it Not did. too bad at all. What kind of beer did you just crack there? I opened a Hopsta La Vista. Hopsta La Vista. That's right. What are you drinking? I just opened a Aloha Friday. Well, cheers. I keep talking about that one. I like it a lot. Mmm. It is a delicious hibiscus pale ale, and you can get all of these beers if you're in the Canary District of Toronto at the Aviary Brew Pub. Mm-hmm. Long slice. I came into sports. I started out as a music writer and I was as a bad musician before that. So I'm a music guy and I'm picky about the music we use in, in the pieces we do. Sure. And so, you know, often I'm trying, you know, we've got a lot of stuff that, you know, we, Roger Sportsnet, owns a catalog of kind of generic stuff that sounds sort of like stuff, you know, but it's not really, but they use it. And, uh, but I, you know, I love to use music. I love to use Canadian music. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, that's me. Like I'm, I'm, uh, as I said, I'm a music guy. I, I, 
I, I still go to a lot of live shows. I go to more now than I, I have in years. Uh, There's a lot of places in Hamilton right now. Yeah, Hamilton's an right? interesting town. We've got kind of an interesting <laughs> music culture there, and, and it's... Uh, like everything in Hamilton, it's kind of it's kind of popping right now. But there's you know if you go back a ways, there were you know Teenage Head and yeah. uh, you know Forgotten Rebels and uh, Junkhouse, all the all the Tom Wilson bands, right? So Tom's a, a big factor there still. Mm-hmm. But really, yeah, it's kind of a punk town and a rock and roll town. I would say those are the two. You know, there's some, there's Harrison Kennedy, some interesting R and B stuff. But if you you know the Teenage Head are the defining Canadian or it's Hamilton still band, still going right? too. Yeah, 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 minus Frankie. You know, yeah, yeah, but, no more uh, Frankie Bannon. But, but uh, yeah, what the, actually meeting Gord Lewis is funny. I, I you know I see him. There's a great bar in Hamilton called the Saint Hollywood, which is a Forgotten Rebels song. Uh, the name of, and so Mickey DeSat is from Forgotten Rebels. You see him around town. I see him in my neighborhood riding a bicycle all the time. <laughs> you know, this sixty uh, year old punk riding a bike, <laughs> and uh, and Gord Lewis, the guitar player from the from Teenage Head, I I run into everyone. I, mm-hmm. It was just I, I I got my picture taken with Gord Lewis, just because yeah, just because nice. right. The, the, I saw one of Frankie's last shows with them at uh, a Grey Cup here in 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 uh, Toronto, and they played. There was a Hamilton room of some sort, kind of a lonely Hamilton room, and Frankie <laughs> one of Frankie's last shows with Teenage Head was was there. He was not in good shape. Yeah. So I, I that was and then you know I've seen them fronted by Dave Rave does stuff with them now. Uh, right. Tom Wilson has fronted them but. <laughs> I was at a New Year's Eve where Tom Wilson did the did the Frankie role, so they're still loud. I'll yeah, tell yeah. You that. they're, oh, still, they're sure. still damn loud. Yeah. yeah. I worked for uh, the Forgotten Ripples manager for years. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw a lot of surfing on heroin. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It was weird. I started working. I'm like, I used to have uh, forgot surfing on heroin on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Well, they still play like twice a year. You know, oh, they yeah, still yeah, yeah they're still yeah, doing yeah. gigs. So. Yeah, he's still their manager. He's been their manager for uh, the guy yeah. I worked for for Probably. since since the surfing on heroin days. Probably don't get rich being the no, manager. No, no, not so much. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. He's, you know, if you want to get some merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're talking about how you started out as a musician and yeah. worked into a, being a music writer. Now, how does that how does that left turn into sports? Was uh, that by design, or did you no. find yourself there just suddenly? You know, it was accidental. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a musician. I wasn't good enough. Um, like a lot of musicians who aren't good enough, I start writing about music. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, first in university, and uh, and then for the London Free Press because I was at Western, and then for mm-hmm. the, you know like my dream job at the Globe would have been to be a music writer at the Globe. And I started as a you know I came into that what was the amazing arts department at the Globe and Mail back in the day. Well, like you know this is ancient history, like Jay Scott, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Carol Corbet and Ray Conlog and. Uh, you know all these amazing John Bentley Mays, all these incredibly intimidating group of people. Right. Liam Lacey, um, and uh, I think Liam was the rock critic then, and uh, Mark Miller was the jazz writer. I always thought that'd be the greatest job in the world to be the jazz writer for the Globe and Mail. <laughs> they actually had one, right? The New York Times had a full-time jazz critic in those days, you know. So uh, yeah, so I did that, and then you know there was not you know much of a future in that. I got kind of you know we all you know I so I ended up. Um, we all, I, I remember the summer we all got laid off in the middle of summer because it was a mm. some kind of an economic crisis of one sort or another and started freelancing a bit and doing whatever I could and then the globe went through this great growth spurt where they added a Toronto section and added a bunch of reporters and I got hired as a news reporter mm. and I never done it right like except in school so I got hired to write like general news huh. and then I uh, covered the I covered a federal election campaign they kind of let me do an on the bus column and uh and I kind of I did that. I wrote features or long form stuff. You know, the Globe was a tremendous paper in those days, and you know, hung out with, you know, Ian Brown and uh, you know the, the Linda McQuaig and all these incredibly good reporters and writers. And uh, 
and then uh, and I did some sports feature writing just for fun, but I never like I'd never done it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was a sports fan like everybody else, but not you know like I that was not my dream job. Right. And then Trent Frain retired. He was the columnist then. You know, and it was his last stop as a columnist was at the Globe, and uh, he retired, and there wasn't really an obvious successor. Um, and I just applied for the job and got it. Huh. I thought it'd be kind of cool to write a column. Sure. You know, and, and it was a chance. So I never covered it. Like, I'm really unusual. I never covered a beat in sports, ever. I went just did a column. So I started doing a column in, like, 1989. And, uh, you know, I wasn't very good at it at first. But, you know, I eventually, <laughs> I eventually figured out how to do it kind of my own way. And uh, took some time and they were patient with me. And, you know, and I realized I could... I was saying this to somebody the other day that, you know, they, they, I, I think... You know, people in journalism looked down on sports writing in those days, right? It was, mm-hmm. you know, even arts writing, even music writing was more, you know, more accepted than sports writing because sports writing was frivolous, right? It was the the toy department. It was, you know, you wrote about stuff that didn't matter, which, you know, by and large is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I realized I could write about just about anything, you know, mm-hmm. within that, con- and, when, you know, and it was that age of when people in sport were trying, you know, starting to write about political issues and social issues and mm-hmm. you know, guys like Bob Lipsight at the Times, who was, you know, my hero. They, you know, they, they didn't just write about the scores and they didn't just keep it within the playground. They actually, you know, they did, they wrote that too, but they were willing to kind of say, well, you know, this is, this exists within a real world and a world of economics and politics and, you know, say social forces. Oh, and, yeah. There's a mirror there. Yeah. In sport. yeah. And you could, I could get at anything. You know? And so I was, I didn't feel limited at all. And, uh, you know, I got to see the world, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to travel all over the place. It was a great writing gig. And yeah, but it was totally accidental. And then that's what, you know, that naturally led into the broadcast stuff because, you know, like all sports writers in those days, especially we were all trying to make an extra buck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, radio guys would call you and say, Hey, we, you know, we need somebody to sit next to, you know, so-and-so and be a co-host. Can you do it? Hey, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it all kind of, look, no, like it's the most accidental, like 30 year career ever, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very grateful, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, and I say, and I've come back to music a lot in the last Especially in the last 10 years. So tell us about your relationship with music as it relates to the Tragically Hip. I'm, I'm a fan like a, a lot of people, you know, it's it's through the decades. Um, and, I, you know, I guess before we get into what we're going to talk about specifically, but I, you know, I think I saw them five or six, maybe seven times. Mm-hmm. I, saw, I, I got to see them in some cool places. Like I, I saw the show they did for the Olympic athletes in... Uh, Salt Lake City. Oh wow! They did a private oh, wow. show for the, the Olympic athletes, so that it was pretty so neat. Fitting that tonight we have with us the Tragically Hip, who have been the biggest supporters of the Canadian women's hockey team for a long time. But not only just that, but of all amateur athletes across the way, and who are the proudest people in the world to be Canadian. And now from Kingston, Ontario, the newest members of Team Canada. The The Tragically Hip!
Howdy, folks. It's a pleasure to be here. We got a percussion section bigger than Santana. This is uh, a song you might know. It's called Fireworks. For all you fine athletes and all your fine athlete families.
So I had some kind of atypical experiences here in the hip, but you know, otherwise, yeah, just the same kind of stuff everybody else has. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, and I, I'll tell you one other thing is that I did a uh, film years ago. I, I wrote, I worked on a film with Joseph Blasioli called the last round, which is about, um, about the Chevalo Ali fight in 66. Okay. National Film Board of Canada. It's a feature length doc. Yeah. Yeah. And you will hear that. Yeah. And yeah. And the hip is on that soundtrack too. That's, you know, I think Joseph, that's more because of Joseph, because Joseph played, uh, among other things, played hockey with Gord. So, uh, yeah, okay. that's, but it's, it's, it's a really weird, funky soundtrack. And a lot of it is, almost all of it is kind of contemporary 1960s Canadian rock and R&B, except for the hip. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's worth, you can find, it's probably on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube now, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a typical Canadian of my generation and that's, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're part of my, they're, they're part of my landscape.
it's uh, writers at Woody Point. It's uh, we just had our fifteenth season. Really? Yeah, mm. they've been going for fifteen years. So is this something? So tell me about the genesis of that. Well, it's in, you know I live out there in the summer, and um, you know like twenty years ago plus we kind of kind of impulsively we we my wife and I bought a house out there impulsively. I was out there for. I'd been sent out to write a story about salmon fishing for Outdoor Canada magazine. I fish. I'm a fly fisherman. Mm -hmm. And kind of stumbled on the West Coast. I'd never been to Newfoundland at all. But the West Coast of Newfoundland especially. And I kind of had this epiphany about, you know, and on that trip. And we went back the next year. I talked about my family back. My kids were little then. And said, I got to look, we got to go back. This is an amazing place. And, uh, you know, long story short, but we literally were, there were no plans to do anything. And we're sitting in a hotel in Rocky Harbor, which is in Grossmore National Park, which is also where my my house is. And uh, saw a little like a three line ad in the newspaper for a cabin for sale. And I said, showed it to my wife and said, you know, what, what do you what do you think? And <laughs> we drove around and we bought it that night, like sight unseen oh, wow. in the dark. <laughs> wow! Had no idea what we were gonna do. It was a, and it's a house. It's a hundred plus year old house. It's a tiny little house, but. We had no idea what we were going to do, how we'd ever get back there, how this would work. And, you know, and it's not like buying a house in like PEI. Like, you know, it's a long way. There's an eight-hour boat ride in the middle. And, uh, you know, you can't just kind of cruise there for the weekend. And you can fly from Toronto to Deer Lake in the summer in two and a half hours. So it's not like, like, it's, not like it's remote. And we're in the middle of a national park. And we're on a fjord. And it's, it's, like, it's extraordinary. It's like an amazing, amazing place. That's the craziest uh, impulse buy I've ever heard. Yeah, of. <laughs> I mean, you know, it wasn't like you know, it, it, it look, it didn't cost millions of dollars. Sure, but, but still, it's a commitment. It was a commitment, and it turned and it, and you know, there's a small, there aren't a lot of summer people out there, but the, it's a self-selecting group, right? Yeah. You have to kind oh, of sure, and we're all the same, right? We're all kind of zealots about it, mm -hmm. and you know, people have moved there. Um, you know, friends of ours have bought houses since we were there. Some, you know, one couple of great friends of ours have moved there full time. They live there year round, which mm -hmm. is a real commitment. You know, it's tough this time of year. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's a, but it's a very cool place, right? And, and, but it was kind of, um, it's within the park, but it's in a, on a kind of an end of a dead end road. So it's off the main tourist kind of uh, stretch where you go up to the, see the Vikings up in Lanso Meadows. Mm. And um, so it was kind of, and, you know, it's an old, like it's a fishing place, but the, after the moratorium, there's not a lot of fishing. And it had some grand houses from the past, merchant houses, but nothing, you know, it was kind of off the beaten track. And, uh, but it had this great, there was this building that there was being restored when we first moved there. And it was an old orange lodge. So this is like the Protestant part of Newfoundland. This mm -hmm. is not the Catholic part. And uh, so the orange lodge was the most important building in town. And there's a guy restoring this orange lodge. And it turns out he's our next across the road neighbor, Charlie Payne. And a uh, fantastic guy. And uh, one of the people who really welcomed us into the community. And he's a musician. Uh, traditional music, but also played in rock bands for years. And he, you know, he bought this place. It was falling down. It was there was storing snowmobiles in it. It was like a, just a wreck. And he bought this old building where he had grown up going to dances there. And you know, when the dentist came to town, that's where the dentist set up, and they would have meetings there and like all kinds of stuff. But it was you know, so he bought it. He was going to restore it as a theater, have kitchen parties there for tourists, and kind of thought he could build a business around it. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was. So he got it done, and then you know, I guess the second summer we were there, he was trying to do stuff, and it was it wasn't really working, you know, and the town wasn't really working in a lot of ways, and and uh, so a group of us got together, who were friends of Charlie's, to help him out with the theater, so we you know, and we, you know, just kind of helped him in any way we could. So we would phone the local CBC station and make sure they that his stuff was publicized. We put flyers under, you know, uh, the windshield wipers and cars and parking lots in the park. We uh, 
uh, we planted flowers in front of the place. We, we did a bunch of kind of just practical stuff to try sure. and help them make this thing work. And at the end of that first of that summer, we had a meeting. You know, we were the friends of the Woody Point Heritage Theater, which is the name of the place. And I, and I put up my hand at the end of this meeting. I still, and again, you know, I'm still not sure. And I said, look, why don't we, we should have a literary festival here. And I have never, I had not ever been to a literary festival. <laughs> I had no idea what a literary festival would be like. And I'd written books, but I really didn't know. And I'm not sure where it came from. And I, you know, Jeannie says, my wife says, that I came home and immediately said, I said, I just had a great idea. And I'm going to be really sorry um, because we're going to get up to our necks in this thing. Um, but the next summer we pulled it off. Uh, Alison Zosky, who worked with me at the Globe, actually knew about literary festivals. And uh, so I went to her and I said, look, I, this is what we're going to try and do. And this is where we are. And she's got a Newfoundland connection too. And I said, how do we do this? We had no money, like none, none like no government funding, not a dime. And, uh, we had one donor who gave us a thousand bucks and that was it. And I went out, there was a, there's a festival, there's a festival in Cornerbrook that went for 30 years, a poetry festival called the March Hare. It's just, they just wrapped it up a couple of years ago and they had, and I went to it and they had music with the readings. They had Newfoundland traditional music. So Ron mm -hmm. Hines and, uh, Pamela Morgan and, uh, Anita Best and people like that. And I thought this was great. The music part was, you know, really lifted the whole show. So I thought, okay, we'll do that. I ripped off the format and said, well, we're going to do music. <laughs> but then I was, you know, then I went out and started trying to persuade people to play this festival in a place they'd never heard of. Even mm -hmm. the Landers most had never heard of it. <laughs> and uh, so we got no money. Um, and would you, you know, tell me what you would normally make for this and I'll, we'll try and pay you, but mm -hmm. I can't promise you anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, people said yes. It's like you know, the first person I talked to was Pamela Morgan, who was in Figgy Duff, which is a legendary Newfoundland oh, kind yeah. of folk rock band, right? She's yeah, the, yeah. And uh, she told me, you know, what she would not, and she said, but okay, I'll do it. And she didn't know me from a hole in the ground. Yeah. And so we got some, you know, and then we got a, a group of writers, including, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Moore and uh, Michael Crumby agreed to come. And we ended up persuading, you know, long story, but we ended up getting Gordon Pinsent there too, which, you know, in Newfoundland is like, that's mm -hmm. big, right? Gordon right. Benson's a rock star. <laughs> and we pulled this thing. So we, you know, we had tickets out. We had no idea how to sell tickets. We had tickets all over the place. And uh, we had no idea how many we'd actually sold. And the first night, this thing just, it filled up. Like the theater. It's a 200-seat oh, room. Oh, wow. That's and great. It, and it just filled up with people. And, and, and it worked. Like it was just magic, right? From the beginning. And we you know, really haven't had an empty seat since.
from like two nights to now it's uh, kind of Tuesday night to Sunday night and we did we've started doing opening concerts as well as the music between we did music between readings so we had like 20 minute sets but then we started doing opening concerts where we do two full shows uh, at the beginning with so we could pay somebody a little bit more to do the opening so mm -hmm. you know and we had like Kathleen Edwards and Sarah Harmer and oh, wow. uh, Joel Plaskett and oh. uh, you know Ron Hines did it and uh, Hey Rosetto who be, you know were there a lot uh, doing different stuff for us and uh, Alan Doyle, so it, yeah, it kind of turned into a thing, you know. It's um, it, it's it's a, it's it's hard to describe. Uh, How involved in uh, booking the acts are you? I'm 100. percent I do oh, it. Great. Yeah, that's I do amazing. the music. Like I, I spread the, the the writers. I don't want to do myself. It's way too political, you know. So you sure. you would rather have a committee doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I yeah I do the music and. Uh, you know, we look. We put our tickets on sale in May, and the whole festival sells out in an hour. That's incredible. Like the whole thing. Oh, that's wow. great. So it's very cool, and it's you know people come for the whole week. A lot of them, it's like summer camp. There's a lot of after hours stuff. There's right. You know, there's jam sessions. There's traditional music sessions. There's drinking. You got your own uh, little North by Northeast out there. Yeah, basically. it's pretty. Yeah. It's 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 pretty, uh, and it's in this incredible place. You know, it's like this. It's physically incredibly beautiful place, uh, and uh, and we do a. Uh, we do a thing called Writers in the Wild, uh, which in this because this will come up later with the park, and it, where on the Saturday morning we walk people walk out on a hike to this extraordinary spot in the forest, and readers read and musicians play, you know, outside in the kind of natural beauty on a Saturday morning. So, wow, well, it's um, it's it's been one of the great like it's it's kind of my secret life, and sure. it takes up a lot of time. And you know, plus I'm now you know we're now we're in a stage where we're you know, I'm chasing grants and chasing sponsors. And sure, sure. Figuring out other stuff. And we have a comedy festival we run in, in this in July now when we're doing some standalone concerts. And I've learned a lot about the music business 
from the other side. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I'm still look. I I gotta tell you, I was like, I'm, I'm still trying to persuade people to play a 204 seat room. Sure. Who would not normally pay a 204 seat room? We pay them a little better than we did at the beginning, but still, yeah. you know, you're trying to say, here's a, I, I, I have an experience to offer you. Um, and then we'll talk about the money after, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I just finished, but yeah, I've got all the, I got all my musicians lined up for next year. I just finished. That's great. Yeah. Now I gotta get some writers. And, and you can share <laughs> at this point or is it, or do you... uh, well, Jeremy Dutcher just won the Polaris. Oh, so, wow. So yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. We did all traditional music at the start. Right. And then kind of realized for a bunch of reasons, including to try and push our demographic a little, you know, that's it. We like, we booked Bruce Coburn that doesn't, didn't push our, our, our demographic lower, but you know, no, that's just awesome. Pri- <laughs> it was, it was totally, I gotta tell you that, that was, a, I will tell you one thing about that. I phoned Bernie Finkelstein's office cold. Oh, wow. And, and said, Hey, you don't know me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I run this little festival in Newfoundland. They've got a 200 seat theater. I don't know what Bruce is doing these days, but just wondering, right? Just because, yeah. You know, what, and I was in an airport. I was in a Miami airport going somewhere, and I and my cell phone rang, and it was Bernie Finkelstein. And he said, "Oh yeah, you're a sports guy. Yeah, I know the sports stuff." He said, "Bruce doesn't do. He only does stuff he wants to do now." Um, but that sounds like something you might do. So <laughs> let, let me get back to you. <laughs> and uh, he got back to me, and he said, "Yeah, Bruce wants to do it." Um, <laughs> Whoa, he lives incredible. in you know, he lives in San Francisco. He said he's going to fly. He and he flew himself out. Flew himself, his uh, tech guy, front of the house tech and uh, tech guy. Uh, his three-year-old daughter. Huh. He has a three-year-old daughter. I guess a five-year-old daughter, six-year-old daughter now, and her nanny. Flew oh, them wow. all out from San Francisco on his own dime. Oh man! And uh, and did two Bruce Coburn shows. Oh wow! Yeah, it was pretty cool. So it, it, it helped us. You know, literary festivals, as I now know, because I've been to a lot of them, uh, are you know can be kind of stiff and uh, academic and a lot of panel discussions and sure. you know and and this I'm glad I didn't know that because we did it our own way and it's. You know, one of the things I, one of the kind of core things was we're going to entertain people. It's summertime. I'm going to drag them indoors in this beautiful mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put on a show. So if you're going to read as a, an author, you know, you got to be good on stage. And, you know, the music's always going to be there. And that's going to be 50 50, you know, mm-hmm. music and, and the literary stuff. And um, we're not going to apologize for that. We're going to be, uh, we're going to make this fun. Is this called Yellow Days? No, it's not. Thank you. 
So that's yeah. So there's the backstory. That's right. that's that's the short version of you know how I wound up in Newfoundland running a festival. At one point, you get the the idea to to book Gore Downey. Yeah. And uh, how does that shake down? Well, I got to know Patrick Sandbrook, you know, okay. who's in the management, one of the in Hips management, right? And because I got to know him, actually, I, I ran, I met him at a Kathleen Edwards show. Okay. And uh, and that led to us eventually booking Kathleen for uh, for Woody Point. Uh, and so, you know, and we stayed in contact, we kind of, you know, we hit it off and stayed in contact and, and I, you know, during one of our conversations, I we booked Sarah Harmer as well, who he also represented. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, and he hadn't been out, um, but, but he kind of, he was willing to kind of vouch for the, this idea. And again, Kathleen and, and Sarah are both kind of cool people and they, they, 
dug the experience. So that was good. So the feedback was good. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what about Gord? What about Gord? And he said, well, you know, depends. And, you know, they tend to be busy in the summer and, you know, might fit in one of these years. So this is, you know, we're going back a long way here. And uh, so I started, you know, but I kept on it. And he started, you know, and he invited me to stuff. He invited me to the, uh, they had a launch for the, uh, the, the uh, Company of Miracles record, the uh, Grand Mounts, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so they did that at, uh, where's the, Jesse Ketchum School, I think it was. Oh. So, which is kind of neat. Well, yeah. here in Toronto? Yeah. I went to that school. Yeah, that's where they, that's where oh. they did the, the, they had a, a little concert there. Get out. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, oh. and uh, <laughs> that, so that, so that was, that was fun. And, uh, and, he, and I, he invited me, this is, I, I told you about this in the email, but he invited me to this thing. And, so this is 2010 now. And again, I'm kind of lurking, trying, just keeping the conversation going. Because one of these years, one of these years. So in 2010, they had the Olympic torch relay was coming through town. Uh, you know, or twice 20, uh, 2009, because it was in 2010, the Olympics were in February, right? So this is right around Christmas, mm-hmm. 2009. And they had an event sponsored by the bank that was sponsoring the torch run. And it was, um, <laughs> oh, no. trying to remember where in the hell it was. Was that a, a, like the Opera House or one of those places, right? And uh, they, it, they, it was going to be, the hook was that they were going to bring the torch in, but it was also going to, they, they got Gord to play it because it was a, going to be a benefit for water keepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure he got a whack a dough for water keepers from these bankers. right? So we walked into this room and it's like, you know, it's just like a bar, right? It's just a bunch of young bank type people just talking and drinking and drinking and talking and talking. Mm-hmm. It's really loud. And um, so they brought, so Gord comes out and uh, he sits down on a chair. It's just him and the guitar. And he starts to play and they don't even pause, oh right? God. There's not even, wow. like there's 10 of us standing in front of Gord listening <laughs> intently and Patty, Patrick Sandwich, he's off to one side. I made a lot of eye contact with him that night. So he's off, just off to one side and Gord starts to play and um, they don't, like there's not even, a, not, not even, it, it, there's, there's not even an acknowledgement that he's there. So he's playing and playing, you know, my wife and I are looking over our shoulders. <laughs> no, it's Gord Downey getting like, you know, and um, so the set proceeds, and I don't know what he was contractually obligated to do. I can guarantee you he didn't do one second more than he was contractually obligated to <laughs> At one point, I, I remember at one point he was on mic and he just looked up and he said, he hollered out, free beer on stage, just to see if anyone would turn around. <laughs> didn't work, right? Oh my God. Did, people still didn't move. And, um, you know, and I'm watching Patty over there one side and he's kind of sweating, you know, because this is not going well. Gord's not happy, right? Gord is not happy. It's not happy, Gord. And... Uh, and he closed the set. I'll never forget. He closed the set by playing. So you know, and he played a version of White Christmas, and it was the angriest version of White Christmas. It was like a snarling punk version of White Christmas. It was just the fuck you version of White Christmas. It was great. And uh, and I'll never forget the guy. So we're walking out, and we run into this guy who was the head bank guy there, who had met us when we came in, and I guess knew me from the sports stuff. And. Uh, and we and we and I said to him, I said that that was awful. Like you know, how could you let that happen? And he said, Oh yeah, I can't believe what the guy on you know, like essentially what 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 he was he, he thought I was talking about Gore. Oh God, <laughs> he, he thought I was talking about Gore. And I said, No, he's talking about all these assholes who wouldn't listen. You know, um, but he, yeah, he thought I was complaining about Gore's behavior on stage. Wow. So that so there was that. Okay, and um, what a Twilight Zone. To be yeah, in. that's a good. And then the madness. The, and then the other one. So then the. The, this we almost where we closed the deal finally is the the hit play thing called there's a thing called the Salmon Festival in Grand Falls, Newfoundland, in Central Newfoundland, which is a big outdoor festival, right. like twenty five thirty thousand people big. Oh okay. And um, 
That was the so the hit played it that year, and I don't even guys know the story. But the, the Eagles were the headliner. You ever heard this story? I uh, just got to it in the in the Buckley. Book. Is it yeah. in there? It's Ir- in there, it's right? In there, yeah, yeah. Irving Azoff. So so the hip are are or the hip are playing are third built on this show. Mm-hmm. It's the Eagles. The hipper third build in between are James with James Dolan and the House Rockers. Jimmy Dolan. James Dolan owns Madison Square Garden, right? He's the mm-hmm. guy that runs. He's the guy that ran the New York Knicks into the ground, and he mm-hmm. has this vanity band <laughs> called the House Rockers. Uh-huh. They play like a terrible R and B band. It's like Frank D'Angelo, right? Uh-huh. It's like it's a it's a vanity <laughs> band. And the deal was in in return. And again, if you ever thought the Eagles were the worst people on earth, this will confirm it. He um, <laughs> in return he let the Eagles use his plane or planes, and in return for that. He got to go and play as their opening act. Wow. So the house, were, so the hip were relegated to third on the bill, Jesus. And, and so they went. They got on, and again, I go out there. Supposed to play probably half hour, forty minutes, maybe, mm-hmm. and uh, and they wouldn't come off. Like Gord, because a the crowd's going crazy because of the hip, yeah. and B because Gord understood the dynamic, and Irving Azoff, who's the Eagles manager, that is screaming at him from the side of the stage. <laughs> And guard wouldn't, they, they wouldn't stop, right? They just kept playing. So that show, after that show, Patty came over to see us. Patrick Sambro came over to our place and uh, stayed with us for a few days, saw the theater and all of that kind of, lay, and that laid the groundwork. Yeah. So it was the next year, I think. So Gord was, the hip weren't touring that next summer. Um, Gord was available. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we cut a deal. It was, it was, it turned out it was, it turned out that he and his eventually ex-wife, had honeymooned in Newfoundland, hmm. and so that trip was thirty years after that, and they decided to come back. They played the, he played the Newfoundland Labrador Folk Festival in St. John's before our uh, show, mm-hmm. and uh, they rented a, van, a couple of vans and got brought all their kids, uh, Billy Ray and his girlfriend, and drove around, you know, drove acro- back across Newfoundland and spent uh, came to Woody Point, played the gig, spent a week there. We got him a great oh, wow. big huge house to stay in all of them. Oh, it was wow. very it was very it was a neat st- and then Josh and uh, Andy Mays came uh and did uh and did their thing, Sky Diggers and uh Josh <sighs> and Josh played with Gore. So that's so cool. Yeah it was, it was it was really yeah it was pretty special. Did you play some trumpet with him? Yeah uh... he, uh, he did not do that. Oh, no. damn it. <laughs> but I'll tell you I tell you, I, was, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Uh, I uh, I'll never forget the like the the first was the, the Sunday night, I guess, before. So we started on the Tuesday. But I remember looking out the window of this little house in Newfoundland, and there's this apparition walking out my driveway, you know, dressed all in white with a big white cowboy hat. And I said, so Gene, I think Gord Downey's walking up our driveway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, he brought me a really nice bottle of scotch and a copy of a, book, copy of a book called But Beautiful by Jeff Dyer, which is a great, if you're a jazz fan at all, it's an amazing, amazing book. Huh. Couldn't have chosen something more in sync with I have no idea how he would have figured that out but um yeah it was a, like right where I live and uh, that that book and yeah it's one of the great moments of my life that's I gotta say. Uh, yeah that's pretty remarkable yeah wow so yeah they were with the hat on yeah they, it's well you can see you can imagine <laughs> the look I don't think he, I think he wore the same outfit by the way every moment he was there though we don't know that he ever wore anything different it's well, like a man in white there's a story yeah there's a story in the Barkley book I think it's the Barkley book. I've consumed so much Gord stuff recently where he talks about his, uh, oh gosh, he calls it his dinner bag or whatever. Whenever he would fly to New York, he would, he wouldn't even have something like a, a, a carry on. He would, he would have a pair of pants and a shirt rolled up super tight in like a crown Royal bag. 
That sounds about right. <laughs> and that's what he would wear to dinner. But the rest of the time, he would be wearing whatever he was wearing. Yep. No, like, uh, he just didn't, you know. I didn't see him wear anything else. If you look at those you know, the videos from the two shows that are on YouTube, that, that's the outfit he's wearing. Mm-hmm. So, that's, as far as I know, that's all awesome. he wore. So, Joseph Boyden was there that year, who was the writer, who's a great friend of Gord's. So, they hung out. Took his kids fishing on the wharf. I was just going to say, road. did you take them fishing? Yeah, across the road. There's a wharf across the road from our place. They caught tons of mackerel out there. Hung out at the local coffee shop. You know, kind of, they gave the, the woman who runs it, uh, gave him the key. Just said, you got mm-hmm. you know, if you want to come in early or late, oh, wow. come on in. Yeah, that's oh, cool. That's and just, you know, it's kind of that kind of place. So Newfoundland's like that, though, where mm-hmm. by, you know, five minutes in, it was, oh, there's Gord. Oh. Yeah, how you doing? You know, it was no no big deal. They, you know, made him take his uh, hat off when he went in the Legion. But other than that. Yeah, was, yeah uh, they'll do that. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> but he, yeah, he became kind of part of the part of the mix pretty quickly yeah what the hell is this said it's art just fucking mirrors where did we go wrong if not here where do we belong in a shot sun off an airplane far In the light of sign of one kind or another In the gleaming eye of a fighter or a lover
the, the performances that he gave were just um, yeah I kind you know I get like they're, they're imperfect you know which is fine they're 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 raw um, but they're beautiful they're really 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 beautiful agreed when when I told you that um, you had put Chancellor on your Toronto mic list yeah and uh, I had said you know my favorite song from that record um, is Trick Rider yeah which is pretty darn good yeah mm-hmm. and that that version of Trick Rider is is really really good mm-hmm. he is so in control of what he is doing behind the mic at that point he's barely cracking his the side of his mouth open but mm-hmm. the, the power that's coming through i can only imagine being in in a small environment like that well like plus an intimate great, environment and like a that. great crowd like he you know when he played he played the the folk fest is a big show a, a big outdoor show in st john so he right. played and it's a kind of a big drunk show too right so sure so yeah, I, I wasn't there, but everybody tells me they wasn't a great crowd. You know, it was just kind of too loud, and what he was doing was pretty subtle. It wasn't the hip, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but to play in our little room, which is a, you know, it's it, you know acoustically it shouldn't be any good, but it's really good um, in front of a crowd that was just like so there that it uh, yeah it was a, it was it was it was gorgeous. You know, it's just one of those things you kind of you know again I've been thinking about him doing that show there for years before that, and then. It kind of plays out in front of you. It's sure. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad. Like, there's a bunch of shaky videos on YouTube. A bunch of I, I, just, I was I was telling you that I don't know who posted them. There's a lot of them on YouTube now, but you know they all look like somebody shot them. But at least you can hear the songs. Yeah, very clear. Like, yeah, it's, it's it sounds perfect. Like I ripped them to MP3 for, from the YouTube clips, and I've been listening to them just on my iPhone, mm-hmm. and it sounds. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm just glad there's a record of it, you know, because it's yeah. kind of like a weird fever dream that whole week for me. You know, like, oh, I, like I just can't quite believe it played out that way. And um, yeah, I, I'm just glad there's something where I can look at it and say, yeah, it was that that was pretty pretty great. Um, yeah, it was it was a special week, and it was I you know I I think for him with his kids and the whole bit, you know, it's it just interesting to see a guy in that context, mm-hmm. you know, see a guy as a dad and. Um, you know, I know the marriage ended after that, but as a husband, and uh, yeah, it was special. I, I, again, I just kind of feel like I was privy to something that most people are never going to get to see. It, no, was, it was, it was lovely, pretty yeah. magical. Yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, he said my, my. I remember my son. We were these. My son was there. I got a, my son. My uh, eldest kid was there, and he had a couple of friends of his from Germany, who, of course, like the hip was baffling to them. This whole idea, <laughs> and we have this big barbecue kind of dinner in my backyard the Monday night before the festival. So there's fifty or sixty people out there, and. You know, and my son was yakking with Gordy. He was trying to explain to these German, the German guy and his girlfriend, who the hell this guy was. Like, what in a German context? You know, like not David Hasselhoff, but yeah, what in yeah. what in a German? You know, what is the who is the German? You know, Gord Down. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't. My knowledge of German yeah. pop music is. Yeah, me too. But like, it would be like freaking having Bono in your backyard. Well, that's kind of right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, like eating a hamburger. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of like that. Just being chill with the keys to the coffee shop. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, the keys to the coffee well, shop. It's that, kind of, it's, it's that kind of thing. My wild child. Your nightlight's on. In your mild depths, the moon is on the lawn.
Somebody like Gordon with the hip being, you know, yeah. juggernauts of superstardom in some parts of Canada and then a little less in others and then go to the States where they're going to play a small club in San Diego or wherever, you know, yeah. you, you really get a different dynamic of how you're going to approach your show, I would imagine. Well, and you know, the other thing was he was playing, you know, like he played mostly kind of Coke Machine Glow stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. he played, he, you know, or, or, or the Company of Miracles, like he played mostly, he played Bob Cajun, right? Um, yeah. But it wasn't like he was playing the hip's greatest hits, right? Right. So right. He, he was also, like, I'm not... You know, I know. I know people's. I, I'm glad people are going, especially going back to Coke Machine Glow, because I think it's mm. unbelievable. It's yeah. stunning. But you know, it's not like that was a record that people necessarily knew very well. No, uh, it didn't blow up at no. the time of its release or anything like that. We so, just... so I don't know that everybody was you know sitting there waiting to hear uh, you know Trick Rider. But when then when, when you hear it, it, so yeah, it was, it was yes, a very different kind of show. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like the adoring masses necessarily, but it was right. a very warm, you know, crazy into it. Yeah, and, and again, most people are just so geeked to see him walk out there. That, yeah. yeah that, was, that, was, that was pretty <laughs> cool. crazy. Yeah. So a couple of the other songs you put on your list, you put uh, Ahead by a Century and you put Poets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, why did you select those songs? Um, Ahead by a Century because we did, oh, I love it. And, yeah. uh, and we did a thing the year of the last, the summer of the last tour, which I couldn't get back for, um, for Gord, we, uh, out in that beautiful spot, out in the woods, we got 200 people together and we ripped off choir, choir, choir. So uh, mm. just, I, my apologies to the guys because they're, <laughs> they're geniuses and we just stole it. 
but uh, we did it with uh, with Jody Richardson, who's a kind of a legendary Newfoundland rock musician. Mm-hmm. And we uh, and we did it. Uh, it, it it's that's out there on on the on the internet's as interwebs as well somewhere. But for Gord, we did ahead by a century, you know, and kind of uh, very ragged, uh, not not necessarily in tune, several part harmony. Uh, and we but we sang it in the woods for Gord, you that's know. Beautiful. And I always think that that that's yeah, that was uh, that was you know that summer for everybody was, um, you know, and that's as, so that's as close as I got to, you know, being back for those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and poets, yeah, I like I'm still not. You know, I, I, I was reading the lyrics again today to try and decide what oh, I yeah. thought it was actually about. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a mysterious one. I, is, I, I'm right there with you. I, I'm a huge fan of the song. I like I, It just gets, you know, it's, it's, I, I wanted something loud too because everything else mm, was quiet sure, that, I, sure. that I put on the list. And I wanted something that makes your heart beat because God knows the hip did that. Yeah. And I and I am I have no clue what that song's about. I, no, uh, no. There are Sometimes I think I'm there, and then I'm like, well, I don't know. yeah. I, I love reading interpretations of, of the lyrics because they're they're are they're all over the place, aren't oh, they? Oh yeah. Uh, but I I just love the kind of adrenaline charge, and I you know, and mm. I think when I saw they kicked off a show, it wasn't a San Diego show, but it would have been one of those shows I saw where that was kind of the that that was the downbeat of the show, you know, mm-hmm. it was just boom. And I love. I love that that you know I, the, look rock and roll should hit you in the chest right yeah, and that's yeah. one of the songs that hit you in the chest oh yeah yeah I love that I love that about it so I wanted something loud mm-hmm. so that's it's a good pick yeah well thanks <laughs> I appreciate yeah
sometimes about guys in my generation who where they're musically they just sort of stopped yeah I, it, I've seen it happen to many people who they just kind of freeze in time with yeah. one little thing and they don't continue to listen whether that was when they were 15 or when they were 21 or, yeah, or whatever or somewhere I mean and, and it gets hard to keep up yeah and, honestly, and I don't claim to keep up like I, like I got kids and you know, my kids are from 30 to 25 yeah. and you don't necessarily have to be keeping up with what's hip and popular but as long as you're still discovering I think that's important you know I think so I, I and just be you know there's look I think we're in a kind of a golden you know even though recorded music's in the toilet obviously right now mm-hmm. and the, the industry's in the mess there's amazing stuff happening right now there are some great bands there's great stuff it's a, it's the surface that's garbage because yeah. there's no you, there's no room for risk anymore because yeah. there isn't money so everything has kind of stayed the same with the, with the surface pop music is kind of all everyone sounds a bit the same and there isn't you know there's not a nirvana spiking through or something that's going to order the strokes that's going to pop its head up and kind of change how we're looking at it because it's all feeling the same but under all of that you know uh under the radio stuff there's a bunch of great bands oh yeah great music going on. i hear look i hear stuff every year which would be you know yeah would i could put into context of any part of my life and say mm-hmm. these guys well, these guys are great you know not just great for now they're great great and right or interesting or exciting or challenging you know as yeah. i mentioned like fucked up there seeing them live like mm-hmm. I, I don't sit and listen to fucked up at home <laughs> yeah. but, i've seen them live a couple of times but they're live they're awesome right it's and because and and, and, they give it you yeah. know and he gives it yeah. and, and then he got a great rhythm section like, oh, like yeah. a crazy rhythm section like i know gore did some stuff with them yeah we were gonna i actually we were gonna go see them together and it didn't happen yeah. that was kind of a post woody point conversation you know, the last time, I will tell you, the last time I saw Gord, maybe I'll wrap up here. Or you guys, it's up to you, it's your podcast. But <laughs> I was going to a show. I was going to a show at the Danforth Music Hall. And um, Frank Turner, I think. And I was waiting. I was trying mm-hmm. to find I was looking for Hodge. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, I, and I, I, I thought I was going to meet him at Allen's. So I walked into Allen's. And it was kind of quiet. And, uh, and I'm looking around for Hodge. And I look in the corner. And I didn't recognize him at first. Because Gord had the, the big beard. And he just said, hey. And um 
when I sat down with for a second and I said, you know, how you doing? And we talked and caught up and, you know, pledged to go see something together. And, uh, I think that's about well, maybe three weeks before they announced the diagnosis. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was waiting for somebody there. I mean, I forget who he was meeting, but, yeah. uh, yeah, just kind of sitting there quietly in the corner downs. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the last time I saw him. I saw, I exchanged a couple of emails with him from Newfoundland that summer. I sent him a clip of the, uh, of the head by a century thing, which I'm not sure he ever managed to open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we had kind of a, we had an email thing kind of off and on That's over the time. Wonderful. Yeah. I, 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 I can picture him now though, sitting in that quiet corner of Alan's yeah. with the, the great guru beard on him. Yeah. That's yeah. a, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty nice. There's more music coming in. There's, there, there's stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when it's going to turn up, but he was pretty busy that last year. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm told there's more things coming. That's amazing. Well, we're very lucky for that. That's for sure. I mean, it's it was tragic and uh, too way too soon. Like holy yeah, Christ, yeah, yeah. remarkably. Um, uh, but yeah, and speaking of busy, you're a busy man. We're very uh, grateful for you uh, joining us here. Oh, it's fun. Hey, I, yeah. I'm happy to do it. Um, I got to plug my own podcast. So can I do yeah. that? Oh, please, that please. Was, Anything Blair, you want. The, the lead with Jeff Blair, L E D E archaic newspaper spelling of the lead yeah. mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, a, a kind of a yeah, sports and other stuff kind of podcast but kind of brainy sports I hope okay. yeah, yeah, social great. issues yeah I listen to I, I subscribe thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're trying to get the word out sports not doing a great work, job of it so we're, gonna, we're doing it ourselves <laughs> I keep waiting to see one of those promos scroll across the bottom and I haven't seen one yet but apparently <laughs> they're going to do it so uh, yes I'm a podcaster now wonderful part of my content providing yeah mm-hmm duties well good luck with that it's, thank you i continue to enjoy your work and um we're really fortunate to have you here tonight yeah, it's fun. thanks so much yeah my pleasure cool. wonderful fully and completely is a modern superior podcast proudly sponsored by long slice brewery to rate review or subscribe to the show visit spotify apple podcasts the google play store or anywhere else you get podcasts For more information about the show, our guests, or Jamie and Greg, please visit www.fullyincompletely.ca. To join our Facebook group, visit Facebook and search for Fully Incompletely. This episode has been brought to you by the Modern Superior Podcast Network. 